1965, James Michener wrote the novel The Source. It's a story essentially taking place during the time of the Old Testament. And one part of the story, a man named Urbael serves two gods, one the god of death and the other the god of fertility. At one point, he sacrifices his son to the god of death. Another time, he and his wife go to the temple, and there's going to be a lottery drawing in the cult of the god of fertility. And the person whose number is picked, they, for one week, can cheat on their wife, and there's no consequence. And lo and behold, Urbael's number is picked, and his wife is shocked as he gladly leaves with the temple priests. And as she walks away, she says a very telling quote. We're told that she said, if he had different gods, he would have been a different man. If he had different gods, he would have been a different man. As we are still in this time of year, when we are just a few weeks from the resurrection of Christ on the calendar, and just a few days ago was the ascension of Christ. Forty days after the resurrection, Christ would ascend, and then ten days after that, which would be next Sunday, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is shed on all flesh. And we all have to make that determination and that decision as we respond to God's call. Who will be my God? Will it be self, something else, or will it be Christ alone? If he had different gods, he would be a different man. In Scripture, we're going to look at some things that happen at the very last moments before Jesus ascends. Before we do that, though, I want to remind us the word worship. It means to bow down, give honor. It means prostrate adoration. So we gather together on Sunday and worship together and we stand and sing hymns and that's very appropriate. But in our hearts, we should be kneeling before Christ and then literally during the week in our private time to kneel down before him, to prostrate before him because that's a sign to say, Christ, you are king, my Lord, my God. I surrender to thee. You lead and I follow. In fact, go to Luke chapter 24 the ascension of Christ, we're told this, when Jesus led the disciples to Bethany, he blessed them, and then he left and was taken up into heaven. Notice what happens here. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They knelt down and bowed before him. And we are called to do that on a regular moment-to-moment basis. Remember Matthew 2, the beginning of the gospel story, what happened? The Magi saw the star. They were overjoyed. They came to the house where they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Our moment-to-moment life should be in surrender and submission, bowed down before Christ to proclaim that he is God. If he had different gods, he would be a different man. Fascinating studies have been done in the prison system in Texas about the last words that prisoners made that died in prison. These are hardened criminals that had been sentenced to life and then died in prison, and they would record their last words, and then they did a statistical study recently, grouping the words in categories, and here's what they determined. About 14% of the men wanted to ask forgiveness from their victims, not a very high number by any means. A little bit higher, 30% expressed sorrow for their crimes. But think about this again, hardened criminals, 70%, their final words were about the importance and the need for love. Love is the oxygen of the soul. 
And it's the perfect love found in Christ that is the most important of all and the only place to find true, lasting fulfillment. But to have that relationship in Him, we have to be kneel, kneeling down before Him in our hearts, surrendered unto Him. It's important to remember as we gather together for worship together on Sunday morning, we do that for several reasons. Most importantly, you remember Mark 16, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. John 20, it was the very first day of the week, very early while it was still dark and the stone had been rolled away. We worship on Sunday together because Christ rose on Sunday. We also worship together on Sunday to bow down before him in our hearts because that's what the disciples did. Acts 27, on the first day of the week, the disciples came together, broke bread, and Paul preached until midnight. And then again, the third reason is Pentecost is on Sunday when Christ would pour out the Spirit on all flesh and is promised to the disciples and to us, God has been with you, at Pentecost, he will be in you. Now, God has revealed in these last days this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, never to leave you nor forsake you. He dwells in the temple. You are the temple now, and we need to be kneeling down before him. We talked last week about heart math. You put your hand on your heart, breathe slow, and in gratitude and prayer, when you do that, and you're truly grateful, your brain waves, your heart waves, they go in sync. Again, the heart is our real intelligence. It's not about logic. It's not about our thinking. In our mind, we justify, we debate, convince ourselves. If somebody could just see my point of view, they would agree I'm right. In your head, you're dead. The logic and the arguing, the debating, where do we need to be in the heart? What did Jesus say again? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Solomon himself said, guard your heart with all diligence. Greg Braden writes this about the heart. It takes three seconds for us to determine if we like someone. Perhaps more relevant, wives state they knew within three minutes if the person they were with was someone they should marry. How would that be possible because the heart, true intelligence. It's not about in our mind going through a list of checkpoints. Do I like this person? Are they compatible for marriage? Here are 10 things I find appealing about them. That's the logic, that's the mind. In our heart, we know automatically. So here's another exercise for the heart. Don Tolman shares this, but again, Place your hand on your heart and in a moment of peace, giving gratitude. And when you're in that place of gratitude, simply ask, what am I afraid of? Answer what that is. And now answer, if I weren't afraid, I would. And whatever that answer is, do that thing. What are people afraid of? To say they're sorry, to say they're wrong, to take a risk. Worried about other people's opinions? Are they getting acceptance? All these things that get caught up in the mind. We see the conflict all around us. We need to stop being a part of that old thinking from that old self. Bow down to Christ. Proclaim that He is King. Live from the heart and recognize even prisoners can say, 
What is it that people need? What did they need to know love? So here's something fascinating. Charles Swindoll wrote about Fritz Kreisler, a violinist in Austria in the 1800s. And he writes this. On one occasion, a woman rushed up to him after a concert and cried, I'd give my life to play as beautifully as you do. Chrysler replied, I did. He gave his life to master the violin because he knew he could bring music and joy to others. We need to have that same direction and that same focus to say, what am I going to give my life to? If he had different gods, he would have been a different man. So let's talk about the Gospel of John, a very familiar story, but you'll see why it's incredibly relevant here today. We all know this story by heart. I'll just read a few verses of it, and then we'll see why this is so important. This is the trial of Christ, and he's already being beaten, unfairly accused. And John 18 tells us this. Someone said to Peter, aren't you one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Later, Peter was standing by a fire. Someone asked him, you aren't his disciple, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants challenged him and said, did I not see you with that man in the garden? And the key, a third time, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Luke 22 says, Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Remember, he promised Jesus he would always be by his side. Now, when his friend needed him the most, in fear, he ran away. Keep that thought. We'll come back to it here in just a moment. Jesus gave a sermon at the beginning of his ministry. He often equated spiritual life to nature. At one point, he said, you know, consider the lilies of the field. Solomon did not have clothing as beautiful as they, yet they are effortlessly taken care of by God. He would later say, consider the sparrows. They're sold for a penny. Does God not care for the sparrows? Are you not worth much more than they? Then he made this statement. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Average person has 140,000 strands of hair. What is his message in that statement? Joseph Prince says it like this. This means Jesus wants you to know he is very interested in you, your health, family, financial, relationships, everything in your life. He knows the pain you have been having in your body. He's aware of the financial worry you have been keeping from your family. He sees how your nasty boss treats you. He understands the hurts you've been keeping in your heart. He hears your heart's cry for a miracle. Now back to the Gospel of John. We have to remember this is a scroll that John wrote. He did not write chapters. So it was something to be read straight through, whether silently in private or more likely was the common way read to the body of believers gathered together. John goes on to say, this is now after the resurrection. Jesus stayed with the disciples 40 days before the ascension. Remember, Peter denied three times. John 21, 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. 
What's the picture here? There's still a, a, a picture of spiritual blindness for the disciples. Yes, they know he rose. They still don't understand. And why is Peter fishing? What did Jesus call him to do? He called him to preach. And what is Peter doing? He's fishing. Why? He doesn't feel called to preach any longer. He's remembering the denial three times, his failure. And it's now something he feels no longer worthy to do. Before we see what happens next, let me read something here. Again, what is the heart cry? And what does Christ promise to fulfill? That perfect love, that perfect peace. Let me read something by Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb is a writer who's also a counselor, and his books are about family relationships. But he got very honest about his own relationship with his dad. He stated this, My father was an emotionally alive but suppressed man. We loved each other but shared very few moments of real encounter. One time James Dobson interviewed us after we wrote a book together called God of My Father. Think about this, an amazing amount of work they put in together. Father and son, he's already a psychologist at this point, and he and his dad wrote a book about their faith in God. And Larry goes on to say this, In the interview, Dr. Dobson leaned toward my dad and said, Mr. Crabb, you must be very proud of your son. I struggled to maintain my composure. My father had never put into words that he loved me or was proud of me. I waited, not sure if I was stretched out on a guillotine or about to be crowned. My dad replied, we have to be careful not to get big egos. But yes, God has used Larry in a variety of ways. Larry Crabb goes on to write, that was it. The blade dropped. It has been hard to get my head back in place. At that moment, I would have given anything to see Dad beam and say, Dr. Dobson, if I had my choice of any man in history, I'd have chosen Larry for my son. But he did not say that at all. We all can identify with that type of rejection. Peter feels that overwhelmingly in his heart right now. He's out fishing. You'll see this is very, very relevant everyone's life. John 21, 14, the gospel continues. This was now the, notice, third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Three denials. Now the third time Jesus has appeared to the disciples. It's shortly before his ascension. What happened at the ascension? Peter bowed down and worshipped in great joy to this moment where he's fishing and doesn't even recognize Jesus. What happened here in this moment? It changed everything. Let's close with John 21. When the disciples finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. And here's the key. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Christ. Three times Jesus has him confess his love and commitment. What is he doing? Three times denied, three times confessing. He's restoring Peter. And what does he say to Peter? Now go and preach like I had called you to do three years ago. Peter had given up on himself. Christ had not given up on Peter. Love is the oxygen of the soul. The resurrection of Christ, as we've been saying week in and week out, yes, he had the triumph for us over death, hell, and the grave, but he also promised that now, here in this life, in this moment, we can live in victory. We can live in faith. We can live in perfect peace. Why? Because then at Pentecost, the Spirit poured out on all flesh, no longer God with you, but he shall now wear it be within you, to never leave you nor forsake you. That's why scripture over and over again says, of whom shall I be afraid? So no matter where you have been, no matter how far you have fallen, whether it was last night, last week, something you're carrying for years, pay attention to this picture of Peter denying Christ, leaving him in his time of greatest need. Jesus comes to find him on the shore after he's risen. And three times, do you love me, Peter? And three times, Jesus says, then preach like I called you to do. Peter had given up. But Jesus poured out, as Paul would say, though sin increased, grace increased all the more. We simply have to trust in that promise, rest in that promise, and then live in that promise that he is risen. He is risen indeed, and now he dwells in you. He dwells in me by his grace, by his mercy. And our job is to kneel before him, proclaim him my Lord and my God.